the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimaye, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Conclude on this teaching. It's been a very sobering, introspective time just studying this subject, studying history, studying scriptures, observing the modern church, observing my own personal life, observing my church members. It's been very sobering for me, I have to say, very emotionally demanding. When you see what God has warned about severally, you know, replayed in the people that are around you, sometimes you can't help but just shed a tear or two. I know that well, we have work to do and we have to just accept that we need help and we need revival. If after hearing the first two sermons you still don't know you need revival, <laughs> then maybe you are not just dead, you are buried. And we'll have to dig you out of the ground first of all before we even begin to attempt to revive you. If you hear someone like this and you don't ask yourself, how can I adjust? How can I begin to make changes so that I can really leave? Maybe a far gone. But even if you're far gone, <laughs> the Spirit of God can still reach out to you. In the valley of the dry bones, the man Ezekiel was asked, can these dry bones live again? They were dry, dead, long forgotten. Even Ezekiel could not answer. He said, thou knowest. This is a question that is too difficult for me to answer. And you see the modern church, you see the many modern Christians, and you hear the Spirit of God saying again, can these dry bones live again? And sometimes, as a realist, you only can say, God, now only you shall be because things are that dry, things are that dead, really. But eventually, it is the same man that said, Thou knowest that God told, prophesy. Open your mouth and prophesy. Speak to the wind. Command flesh and sinews to the bones. So when I observe these things and I'm broken in my heart, I don't just sit down and lament. I trust God to inspire me. Say, God, give me something to quicken dead bones again, to quicken dry bones again. And that's what I'm trusting these messages and this series will do to us. Whatever sprinkles of life that we get, it is our duty to go back and fan it to flames. Please, this month has been tagged the month of refueling in our church. The sermons from the first one I taught, or was it the first Sunday service again this month? I think I taught communion service um, that will be about Jesus that will be but we see Jesus subsequently we learned about abstinence on Sunday we had a guest who taught us about consecration before then we learned about Christianity in hard times if you are not examining yourself in simple terms you are not serious if all of these words are not making you say, what do I need to shift? What can I adjust? They're not serious. They're not serious. And um, I have to say that I want to be grateful to God. I want to emphatically show my gratitude to God for inspiring our church in this direction. Uh, and you may not understand now, 
may not understand now because you know usually when something is available it's not appreciated uh, but I want to encourage you these things you are hearing don't waste them don't waste them because they will stand against you in judgment they will yeah. you'll be told that come we told you again and we sent people to you what did you do with what we told you it will stand against you it will stand there will be witnesses against you in the court of heaven because you will have no excuse all the convictions and repentance that we are trying to bring to your soul if you remain hardened in your heart it's okay you will see the repercussion eventually it is either revival or rot either a church hears the voice of god and responds to life or the church sings for dying death it's your choice god's voice may sound hard and harsh warning and rebuking but it's to give life it's to give life if you heed it you will live he that has an ear let him hear what the spirit said to the churches first kings chapter 18 our text for today one last time concerning the subject of revival look at from verse 20 verse 20 and we'll read downwards very sobering portion of scripture and um, something that we'll use as a guide for today's teaching so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel and Elijah came unto all the people and said how long Halt ye between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Elijah had come to a point where he was no longer begging people to follow God. If this Baal that you guys give your focus and attention and affection to is really God, even me, I will follow him. I'm not here to force you to follow God because they will give me commission. You know, commission? Say, if you want customer, we'll give you commission. That's not the idea. We're trying to establish who God is. And if Baal is God, even me, I will, I will join you to follow him. But if Jehovah is God, then why are we arguing between two opinions? And the people answered him not a word because they were not sure who was God. They were not sure. They didn't answer. Normally, this was Israel. They should have said, uh-uh, Jehovah is God. How can Baal be God? But they had come to a point where they were so dead, they could not answer a simple question, who exactly should we serve? They themselves were serving Baal. Ahab and Jezebel had taught them to serve Baal. Let me read on. The reading is enough commentary on his own. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, very remarkable statement, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. You see, even quantitatively, Baal had gained more ground than Jehovah in the house of Israel. Even quantitatively. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And now dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire 
Let it be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Disgraceful. I thought somebody would say, no. We don't need to prove anything. We know that Jehovah is God, but they were so dead, they accepted to even test God. Terrible. Terrible state of the people of God. Terrible state of the church in Israel. And Elijah said, Elijah rather said unto the prophet of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourself and sit first. You go first. For you are many. <laughs> and call on the name of your gods. Or put no fire on them. Excuse me, please. <coughs> and they took the bullock which was given them and dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon. That's, let's just say, about six hours. Saying, O Baal, hear us. Or let's just say four hours. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. It's not amazing that this deity called Baal had 450 representatives. And they had never heard his voice. He had never done anything for them. He had never spoken to them. And yet they were worshipping him. They were serving him. And Israel too, Mumu Israel, followed dumb idols. You see, when God looks at your idolatry, he, he, he is astonished. Because he sees what you are comparing him with and he's wondering this thing. Now this thing, they take my people's attention. Now this thing, when of he talk, when of he save, when of he do anything, now in the will my people hurt. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a God. Isn't he? Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's in a journey or paraventure he's sleeping and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and laxets till the blood gushed out upon them. It came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that recorded. So why were you serving him? One day you need to look at it since you are serving and wonder what am I, why am I serving this thing? What profit has this thing brought to my life? Why am I so obsessed with this entertainment? What profit has it brought to my life? What have I gained from it? You need to really check your record books. Don't be a fool who serves an idol that has no profit. You put all your energy, all your data, all your time serving an idol that cannot talk, that cannot rescue you from anything. You're so passionate about it. And everybody knows that that's your idol. Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came there. If it was me, I would not come near. If Elijah says, Come near, maybe he wants to slap me. Or maybe he wants to call down fire on my head. But they came near. <laughs> they came near, and all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribe of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench above the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the bond sacrifice, and on the wood. As I'm speaking, picture the scenario. Picture Israel, dead in trespasses, serving Baal, and they watched the prophets of Baal attempt to call down fire 
to no avail. And here was Elijah, only him, only him, doing all of these things to ensure that the fire fell. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round above the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, or of Jacob, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Let it be known, because obviously it is not known. Even amongst your people, they do not know that you are God. They do not know. And that I, thy servant, they do not know. And today, many people too do not know too that Elijah is God's servant. He said things like Elijah misrepresented God. <laughs> How ridiculous. And I am thy servant and that I have done all this at thy word. Many people think Elijah was a volunteer servant of God. I have done it at your word. You told me to do it. It was not something I picked up from my imagination. You told me to do it. And it came to pass at the time of the offering. Where are we reading now? Okay. Verse 37. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me. That these people may know. That's the essence. That they may know. That they may know. That thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice on the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord is the God. The Lord is the God. Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Hallelujah. That's a good reading concerning the subject of revival. What I want to teach about is titled, What Happens in a Revival? It's a question, and I want to answer. What exactly happens in the revival? Lord, as we hear your word, let the fire fall on our hearts that we might know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. The essence of this subject that we are considering tonight is to position us to sustain the move of God in our generation with respect to revival. I believe that God in his mercy and sovereignty has a habit of introducing himself to every generation. It seems like every generation that comes into existence will need an introduction of God to them. It seems like it is very difficult for the fathers to pass down the knowledge of God without a first-hand exposure about God to his people. Many of you are practicing Christianity and the reason why you are practicing Christianity is not honesty because you grew up in church. You are used to it. Wearing hijab and hitting your head five times a day is not something you are used to. So you have just grown up say, I'm a Christian. Some of you are not even born again because you just feel that's what I've always been doing. That's what I would do. And so God needs to introduce himself to you. It is because of such failures of divine introduction that you can hear a Christian say, we are all serving the same God. That person obviously has not been introduced 
He has categorized Baal and Jehovah in the same plane. He said, well, all of us are children of God, love and light. Uh, love is the greatest religion. He had many of those things from professing believers who may wear suit and tie, who may say praise the Lord and share the grace, but obviously they have not met God. That's why they can equate Jesus with any other prophet. That's why they can equate God with any other idol. That's why the God who created the heavens and the earth will not be worshipped, yet the universe can be worshipped. It is because people have not really been introduced to God. In the day people meet God, the argument ends. People argue about the, the truth because there is not sufficient argument. There is no sufficient argument to affirm what is obvious, what is true. So we are having this discussion because we want to position ourselves to sustain revival when it begins. Or let me say like this, if it begins. God in his mercy and his sovereignty often introduces himself to a generation and this allows for a revival. But if you don't know what God wants to do, we will not be able to sustain it. My problem with our generation is that it seems to be easy to start some things, but difficult to sustain it. It's easy to start a fire, but difficult to sustain a fire. We may preach fire on Sunday morning, but you see many Christians on Monday afternoon, you see ice block on their altar already. Start up to 12 hours. You see that there is no sustenance culture. And so we keep frustrating the work of God in our generation because we are not positioned to sustain and to steward a revival to a point where it breaks out into something remarkable. The sprinkles of personal revival, the sprinkles of local church revivals, the sprinkles of territorial revivals have not been nurtured effectively such that it spreads to something you know, national, something continental, something international, something universal. We have not learned it because we don't know what even happens in a revival. It is Christians who often oppose the revivals. When the revival begins, it is not demons that often oppose revivals. It is Christians who begin to castigate, criticize, condemn the revival. Many times because what happens is something they are not used to. The kinds of demonstrations and manifestations is not something they are used to. We taught you last week, autopsy of a dead church, when a church wants to hold fast to its tradition and does not flow with the move of the spirit, they die. Many times, revival comes with seemingly new things, seemingly because there is nothing new under the sun, but maybe in that generation, it is not something that they are used to. It is something weird, something strange, something new. These guys, in the time of Elijah, must have been surprised to see fire fall from heaven. But under Moses, it was a normal thing. Fire fell and burnt their sacrifice. It was a normal thing. They saw fire. They did not light sacrifices. Many times, fire fell from heaven and burnt the sacrifice. But these guys were so dead, they were not used to it. It must have been a very wow event. They bowed their hearts, bowed their heads and said, Surely, Jehovah is God. So, if we don't know what happens in the revival, when a revival starts, we will not even recognize the revival. And then we will begin to oppose it. We will begin to criticize it. We will begin to kill what God is actually trying to use to resurrect us. That is why we are trying to study this subject. Are we still together here? So, even in your life, a revival may be happening. 
but you don't know so you quench it you fight it you resist it you stop it and then you now you are the one that will now start praying again oh god revive me and god will say every time i start it you stop it yourself but because you don't know what happens in a revival that's why you are killing what god is trying to use to resurrect you now the concept of a revival i have studied it um, not too in-depthly i'm still studying i'm a young man and my study <laughs> of course cannot be complete cannot really be complete but from my observation revivals have happened in bible times that were not called revival don't worry about the tag some of the revivals that have happened in our times have been called outpourings some of the rivals that have happened in the mid-century ages have been called reformation for instance the martin luther reformation was a revival people call it reformation but it's actually a revival it's still the same concept are we still together here so understanding what a revival is and studying the subject through from history and from scriptures don't look for the word revival per se just know what happens in a revival so when you see it you can know this revival they may call it outpouring they may call it awakening they may call it renewal they come they may call it reformation but actually all of those things are still revivals you know we really have i was taking the dictionary meaning of a revival and even english language believes that revival has to do with sudden emotional and often charismatic displays i was very surprised when i saw a definition of revival in the Merriam-Webster dictionary as an emotionally charged activity of a church. And I, I laughed, I said, because some revivals may not necessarily be emotionally charged. All right? There's a revival of common sense. Amen? Amen. Many people need that. Some people are just stupid. Stupid. Stupid Christians. Foolish Christians. No, no basic wisdom. You eat poison and you'll be crying. Why am I hot? And you're eating poison. You just, you need a revival of common sense. We don't split your brains and lay hands into it, not on it, into it. Because you are eating poison, you are wondering why am I poaching? You check what you feed your eyes with, feed your heart with, and you are now wondering why my life is like this. Are you really asking that kind of question? At your age, you don't know that input determines output? A revival of common sense. Common sense. So it may not necessarily be emotionally charismatic displays. People may not fall down. And yet, revival may happen. Amen. But we need to really confirm what exactly happens in a revival. We have a few clues. In 1 Kings 18, that's a classic example of a revival. We read the story. In a revival, certain things happen. Israel were under their worst moral decline in decades. Ahab was so notable for evil in 1 Kings 16, it was described as a king that did worse than his fathers. He says, no king provoked God like Ahab did. And then to make matters worse, he married Jezebel. And then he began to build altars for Baal. He was a state sponsor of idol worship. Some other people worshipped idols, but they didn't sponsor it. This one was sponsoring it. He was building. He was donating to the Baal project. Ahab was a terrible king. And once leadership fails like that, the entire nation collapses. That was the state. 
that usual was. And then suddenly in First Kings 17, you see a man. Everybody say one man. Elijah. Ah! One man. God doesn't need too many people for a revival. One man. One man who is sold out, who is neck deep into the interest of God. One man. He said, I'm the only one. I'm the only prophet of God here. Baal have 450. I am the only one standing. And I don't need a tag team partner. One man battalion. I'm enough. And I will turn this nation back again to God. One man. Wow. Wow. I wish we have just seven Elijahs in Nigeria. That, that would be enough. Seven. We don't need 7,000. We don't have to have 7 million churches. We just need one serious person who is sold out to God, who is not afraid of Herb or Jezebel or Baal, one man battalion. He says, I'm the only one. He said it twice. He said it in First Kings 18. When he was running away from Jezebel, he told God the same thing. I am the only one. God eventually said there are other people, but they were cowards hiding. Remember, does not travel in the hands of cowards. We need fiery, brave men who will confront Herb, who will go against popular culture. We don't want people looking for Twitter likes and Instagram followers. We need people who want to call down fire from God, from heaven. Not people who want to play to the gallery. One man! Remarkable, remarkable, remarkable. And then you see the events and the sequence of things unfolding. First Kings 18. When revival happens, certain things follow. It was not called a revival, but if you understand what a revival is, you will say, Surely that was a revival. The major thing you see there, the people's hearts will turn to God. In a revival, people's hearts turn to God. The people's hearts turn to God. Let's see another kind of revival in Second Chronicles chapter 17. I want you to see this. Because, like I said, there are various shades of revival, and you need to really appreciate revival the way the Bible describes it. This one happened under one man also called Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 17. Look at it from verse 3. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balim, which was the God that was seemingly distracting Israel from Jehovah. But sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat present and he had riches and honor in abundance and his heart was lifted up in the way of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groups out of Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hail, and to Obadiah, and to Zechariah, and to Nathaniel, and to Micaiah, to teach. Everybody said to teach. This was a teaching revival. There was no fire falling from heaven, but people were sent to teach. To teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, even Shemariah, and Nathaniel, and Zebediah, and Asahil, and Shemiramoth, and Jehonathan, and Adonijah, and Tobijah, and Tobadonijah, Levites, and with them Elishama, and Jehoram, priests. What were they doing? And they taught in Judah, and had the book of the law of the Lord with them 
and went about throughout all the cities of Judah and taught them. It was a teaching revival. Hallelujah. Look at the effect. Verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands. How? Teaching. Teaching. How? You know, I said it in the first class we had. People think it's only prayer that bets revival. Lectures on revival bet revival. Teachings. Jehoshaphat's revival was not by fire from heaven. It was by teaching. As teaching happened, the fear of God didn't just fall upon Judah, but all the nations around Israel. That's remarkable. By teaching the power of the word. Hallelujah! When Jesus came, he didn't come calling down fire from heaven. He was teaching in all the synagogues. That's how revival happened through Jesus. He was teaching and then he was doing miracles. Healing, teaching, preaching. Healing, teaching, preaching. So there are various shades to this subject of revival. In Acts chapter 2, there was a fire falling, but it was not physical fire. The Bible says that in the day that the Pentecost was fully come, clothed tongues as of fire fell upon their heads, 120 of them, and they began to speak in tongues. So Elijah's case was physical fire, or let me say tangible fire from heaven. Jehoshaphat was a revival of teaching. In Acts chapter 2, clothing tongues as of fire and then speaking in tongues. You see uniqueness in everything. Uniqueness. Uniqueness. There was no speaking in tongues in Elijah's time. There was no speaking in tongues in Jehoshaphat's time. Every revival seems to have a unique flavor. If you don't know what happens in the revival, you will not be criticizing it. As soon as people heard them speaking in tongues, they began to mock, they began to ridicule, they began to laugh. These men are drunk with new wine. Peter had to stand up and say, no, we are not drunk, can't you see the time? Men don't get drunk at this time. This is that which was spoken of the prophets dwell. It shall come to pass in those days. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The sons and daughters will prophesy. Simply put, Peter was saying the revival of the dwell prophesied has happened. Hallelujah. Dwell didn't call it a revival, but if you understand what a revival is, you will know that's a revival. And then the effect, not just the manifestation, but the effect. To confirm if something is a revival, check the effect, not the manifestation. Somebody fell down, a church scatter, scatter, scatter. The people go back to their sins. It's not a revival. It's not a revival. The revival has an effect. It's not just the manifestation. The, the effect is what is, that will make you know it is a revival. If the effect is not there, it's not a revival. There may be many noise and parades and shoutings. And, but if the, the effect is not there, what was the effect in Acts chapter 2? The people's hearts were cut. And they said, men and preacher, what shall we do? Conviction, repentance, restoration. That's how you know something is a revival. Not that just that they will fire on people's head. That manifestation, if it did not lead to salvation of souls, conviction in the heart of men, restoration, repentance, you can't really call it a revival. Glory to Jesus. So I want to explain in about 30 minutes thereabouts what actually happens. I've seen it from scripture again and again and again and again. I've read revival history books and we'll learn more about that in the coming weeks. Revival history books. I've seen the sprinkles of revival that have happened in our time and in our generation and I can come up with about four or five things that really happen in a revival so that we can be positioned to steward and to sustain the move of God in our generation. I long for a revival 
in my generation. But I must learn about it so that when it comes, I will not be criticizing it. I will not be the one quenching what God is trying to find to flame. I long for a revival in my family. I want my household to burn for Jesus. But I must learn about revival so that when it begins to happen, I will not begin to scatter what God is trying to gather. And I will not begin to gather what God is trying to scatter. Glory to Jesus. The first thing here that happens in a revival, in a revival, God is enjoyed and idols are dethroned. First significant thing that happens in a revival. In a revival, God is enjoyed and idols are dethroned. Idolatry is a principal cause of death. Our generation, I want to believe and I want to say emphatically, has learned how to multiply idols. We don't visit shrines. There's nobody here probably with a mark on their cheek. There's no dedication to altars in naming ceremonies. But idols, tush idols, posh idols, white idols, fine idols, cute idols have multiplied in our generation. We're a generation of many gods. The whole idea of atheism, the whole idea of self-worship is just idolatry. The person that believes there is no God is an idol worshiper. The person that prays to the universe is an idol worshiper. The person that says, God, I am God, me, I am God, is an idol worshiper. Everything that distracts the people from the true God is idolatry. Many of our entertainment, idolatry. Many of our movies, idolatry. Many of our music, idolatry. Anything designed to distract people from God, idolatry. Many of our educational systems, many of our success stories, idolatry. Many of our work and society structure, idolatry. Idolatry. Now people work on Sunday. It never used to be. And even in northern Nigeria, that is not even really extremely Islamic, you don't work on Friday and some, some hours. Those people, they have learned how to protect their own idols. But we have allowed Western civilization to pervert and corrupt dedication and consecration. And people say, it's okay, I'll pick a job, even I'm going to work seven days a week. I'll make more money and send the tithes to the church. Hmm, oh my shit. I don't worship as crept into society. Satan is innovating and inventing ways to distract people from God. God is no longer appealing. God is no longer exciting. God is no longer interesting. Not because God has changed, but because with the multiplication of idols, people's senses have been exercised to find God abhorrent, detasteful. If you continue eating certain foods, some other foods, you lose appetite for them. That's the way life is. Even if something is sweet, but if you exercise your tongue in the opposite direction, you will soon begin to loathe and throw up when what is really sweet is brought to you. Some of these that you say you enjoy, shawarma, ice cream, take it to your grandma, let her taste it. She will vomit your brains. Ah! Say, college aye. It's not like college aye. She's used to vegetable. Iru, iru, iru. That's a definition of sweet. You, ice cream, is your own definition of sweet. Lollipop. So your senses have been exercised in a particular appetite 
and against a particular appetite. Many of the things we watch on TV, on the phone, is designed. Satan will sit down, call his boys, design something that can distract you from God. So that when they're in church, God is not, they will still come to church. Satan does not mind. Satan does not mind you still paying lip service to Jesus. As long as the real idol is in your heart, Satan is fine. Satan is fine. You can do combined service, Satan is fine. It's God that will say, no, you must not mix it up. Satan, Satan says, you can do triple, you can, you can serve three gods. And none of them have to be Satan. As long as it is not God, I am okay. As long as it is not the real God, as long as it is not Jesus, I am okay. Continue. If Satan, will, Satan will not say, serve me. You don't hear Satan saying, serve me. No. Satan will invent God for you. Which God do you like? I like a cute, Barbie-like God. All right, all right, all right. You like that one? No problem. I'll give you what you like. But don't serve Jesus. Talk to that. What you like, serve that one. But every worship that does not go to God eventually goes to Satan. Any affection, any love, like we learned it on Sunday, choice, devotion, that does not go to God, actually is going to Satan. People say, no, I'm not serving Satan. And I laugh. Satan too laughs. <laughs> you cannot serve two masters. Satan knows this. What we are saying here is this. In a revival, God is enjoyed. But how come people got to a point where God is loathed? How does the creator of the universe, the one who put the stars in the galaxies, now become boring, dry, uninteresting to his own creation? How come? Death. Idolatry. How does Israel see God part the Red Sea? Do mighty miracles in Egypt, bring them out of Egypt with a strong and mighty arm, and then create a golden calf and say, This is the God that brought of Egypt. Sounds very stupid, but then it's what it is. Idolatry is the most stupid thing a man can do. You know, Jeremiah or Isaiah wrote in a commentary on that. He said, you, you carry axe and cut firewood with your hand. You carry the firewood, you separate some for, for, for fire. Or you cut wood, you carry the wood, separate some for firewood. The rest, you now carry it, you now polish it with your hand. You now spray it, you now paint mouth on it, paint eyes on it. You now stand it, you now carry your head and bow to it. Say, oh, what is Yahweh? That's why you can do you, you went to cut wood with your hand. You carved the idol. You now, with your hand, you carved the idol. You now bowed your head to it. You now say, this is my God. It's not that you are stupid. Now, idols make fools out of men. Makes fools. And you may be saying, my own is not tree. I don't serve any tree. There's no tree in my house. But there may be a tree on your phone. You wake up in the morning. You pray to your phone. You sleep at night. You pray to your phone. You say, no, I don't pray to my phone. What is pray? Pray just means appeal. When I say I pray thee, it means I beseech thee, I appeal to thee. You appeal to what is appealing to you. You forgot that God kept you through the night. You, you, you can't even phone. You. Even when you snore, you don't know. Now you woke up, and the first thing is we carry from. Oh my shit. Is that not foolishness? I'm 
I'm saying you should not carry phone. But if you cannot remember your creator in the day of your youth, when will you remember him? When will you remember him? You can't even remember your creator now. Idolatry. And you see, all of these things have been brought into the church. There are idols in church. I can say it emphatically, some people's idol is music. They claim they are worshipping Jesus, but music is their idol. Music is their idol. Music is their idol. They even say it's gospel music, but even gospel music is their idol. Idols have been erected in churches. And those things are distracting people from enjoying God. That's why you can see Christians who say, I enjoy gospel music, but I don't enjoy gospel preaching. And I'm wondering, <laughs> wait to say, look at praise I worship now, I go to Finland. The music has become an idol. You think you are worshiping God because you are putting Jesus in the lyrics. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. It's not worship because you called it worship. It's not worship because it happens between 8 and 8.30. It's not worship because it's sang on the altar. It's not worship because it happens in church. It's only worship if it's done in spirit and in truth. That's why it's worship. You can call it anything, but if it's not called worship by God, it's not worship. Idolatry in the house of God. Men have become idols. Pastors have become idols. Denominations have become idols. Churches have become idols. Christians who will not attend the church if it is not their church, you are an idol worshiper. Your church? Your church? Give me a break. Your church? Your church died for you? Shed their blood for you, right? Why you your church, your denomination? What is your church? What is your denomination? I always tell people who either are here or are passing through here or passed through here, when you leave this place, go to a church. I don't, I don't even call people and say, they say, Rema, I don't do that. I don't do that. But when I see people who go to another place, I will not worship in another church. I say they are plugging online. And there's a church. Oh, there's a church beside them. They say, no, it's not my church. <laughs> this one has turned church to idol. What do you mean it's not your church? I've turned church to idol. Anything can become an idol. Amen. Even good things. There is a mass production of idols in our generation, and we don't know. That's why we are dead. Pastors have become idols. Church structures, doctrines, have, traditions have become idols. Church systems have become idols. We say we are serving God, but by the time you check it, we are only trying to maintain our status. Mm. We are trying to protect our interest. We are trying to protect our interest. I've seen how denomination has become an idol, and I, I just, I just, I just, I can never be more loyal to a denomination than I'm loyal to God. A denomination that will never last till eternity. I told you last week, Methodists used to be the revival church led by John Wesley. In his days, goodness, Methodists even started as a church, started as a society. John was still committed and loyal to the Anglican Church in England. Where is the Methodist church today? They are ordaining gay bishops. I will not be loyal to that kind of thing. Say, yeah, it's my church, it's my church. <laughs> I've turned this into an idol. They have turned the brazen serpents to an idol. In a revival, idols are dethroned. 
In the day of Elijah, it was Baal. Maybe it's not Baal today. But there are dimensions of Baal today. Violence have become an, has become an idol. Baal was popular for a few things. Violence, so there was a lot of bloodshedding. They were actually combination idols. Astoreth was the god of fertility. They, they, they did dedications of photos, infant children to Astoreth. It's called, no, it was Molech. Molech was that god. They passed children through the fire. They would fry children, offering them to God, to their idols, rather. America has now become the home of abortion. You have politicians fighting for abortion. They call it health rights. It's more health rights, abortion. The license to kill babies. See, they're fighting for health rights. They just want health rights. My body, my choice. Your body, your choice. You do open leg. Collect seed, collect belly, say your body, your choice. You can't kill the person. You say your body, your choice. It's a dimension of asteroid molecule worship. But it is covered with makeup and colors, rainbow, lesbianism, sexual perversion. All of those things are idol worship. What reigned in Sodom and Gomorrah is still reigning today. But it has been colored, tainted. It now it's, it looks more appealing. Is the posh form of idols, but still the same Satan. Everybody's worship. Are you listening to me? Yeah. <laughs> I remember one day in my church where I was a teenager. At that time in the country, football was a big deal. Football is no more a big deal now. And at that time, if Nigeria is playing ball, everybody is watching. If we score, you go hear the sound like saying a bomb. It's not like that anymore. So some of you may not understand. Then one day, Brazil wanted to play Nigeria. In Nigeria. And it's clashed with service time. The pastor said, okay, we'll close the service earlier today so that we can all go and work ball. You are laughing, but I can bet you if you were there, you would thank him. I thanked him. Some of these things you can't relate with. You all may not be bored, but you have your own. Everybody, everybody's got something in their in their cupboards they need to go and remove and dethrone. So we, we as the brother was, it's time, sir. You said you were going to release us early so that we can go. And they beat Nigeria 3-0. I asked him, was he worth it? I had to come at him. I will not stop it. <laughs> we, we ended service early so that we can watch our country being trashed 3-0. I will not stop it. Every time you engage in idolatry, the angels check your wisdom meter. They say, ah, I did not stop it. I did not stop it. Because what will you gain? Let's say Nigeria won 3-0. How will it add value to you, to your life? Every expression of idolatry, it doesn't bring any profit. That's the funny thing about idolatry. The prophets of Baal were serving Baal. They won't cut their body. And the 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 bar the ball broke could not answer by by candlelight. Ball broke. Broke come now. You never finish the youth toilet since with the beg you see you see the toilet since six hours. Ball broke. <laughs> There's no gain in energy. No gain. Yes, people put all their energy into it. Fight for it, die for it. In those days, it was commonplace to see people die at Madrid centers. 
Me have the man, you may have just say, you die, you die, you die. You now stand before your maker. They now say, why did he die? Say, eh, 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 they watch Paul. Paul. The angel will say, are they not crazy? <laughs> I did not crazy. Idolatry is silly. And it's mad. You see it coming various shades, various types, various. If you're not discerning, you'll be coming to church. Your Bible will be in your armpit. But it will be an idol in your heart. Many forms of entertainment, idolatry, designed to make people hate God love God, reject God, deny God, spite God, and we will sit down, use our money to invest in those things, feed our children, teach our children. They will not be praying, oh God, save our children from the corruption in the world. And the angels will say, are they not stupid? Are they not the ones that showed these children these things? Why are they praying again? We start doing fasting and prayer. Nine weeks. Say, we don't know this child is going away. Well. We don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. We don't know why he's talking like this. Go and check what you've been watching on DSTV and check what they're saying there. Then check if there's any correlation. Why your children are talking like this? Check what's on your phone. You don't know why they're talking like this? Are you really asking, asking that question? We've lost the plot because the idols have come in various shades. But in a revival, idols are dethroned. The love that man has for idols can only be broken by revival. Only be broken. Moral appeal cannot save a man from alcohol idolatry. When a man falls in love with alcohol, oh boy. You can appeal to him, the wife can cry, honey. The way you feel is that God is not good. Cry. You don't know how strong idols have a grip on the human heart. The guy will wake up and say, I've heard tomorrow will be good day again. For this I got again. It's only the, it's only revival that God shows up on the scene and the people see fire and say, Surely Jehovah is God. Only revival. They have been writing, smokers are liable to die young. Cigarette business is still one of the greatest industries in the universe today. See, they will put picture of lungs that is bad. What's it go? But see, we're falling in love with nicotine. You can't deliver him by telling him that he will die. They, they don't even care about that. Idolatry can be that strong. Are you listening to me? You can imagine there's no research in our generation about how screen time reduces IQ that will make our generation drop their phones. Let everybody between that is that. Uh, medical science has shown that is a correlation, and yes, medical science has shown that is a correlation between excess screen time and lack of attention. People cannot just, they cannot look for three seconds. The attention span of our generation is now, I think, seven seconds. The, what is the phrase now? Forgotten what it's called. People cannot focus. And one of the reasons is because there is television has been trained to be loud, colorful, disruptive. Even regular programs are interrupted for adverts. You can't watch something straight for 30 minutes. Something in a movie scene, something except Mount Zion. Now Mount Zion will show one room for 45 minutes. 
Normal movie. After every five seconds, the scene changes. The color changes, the story changes, the plot changes. So your mind is being trained that if it's not different, you can't focus. So you cannot, you can make five minutes, your eyes are closing. Now, no matter how much I say, hey, reduce your screen time, you are in love with your phone. It's only revival that can break the power. Some of you, you are praying. And the angels are saying, is he not crazy? He's praying to God. How is he? He's looking at the phone. Is it not crazy? This same God that we bow and worship. We close our eyes with our wings to see. This one. Look, Go and check what's in what idol is in your heart that you need to dethrone. But it's not going to be by me talking. God must send I have tried it. I've counseled people. I've talked to people. I've discovered if God has not sent these days, I don't. I am less confrontational. I just pray for people. Oh God, send me. You will talk, 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 talk. People will still go back to their idols and bow their hearts. Are you wondering with all I said? Hey, with all I said, if God doesn't send me, Bible, Baal will look so beautiful. Baal will look so powerful. And the day they call Baal, come and call down fire. He will not be able to do anything. He will be wondering, what do they find? What do they see for this bows here? Idolatry. The folly of it. The folly of it. But in a revival, idols are dethroned. And then God is enjoyed. God was, or let me say it like this, God is a being to be enjoyed. God can be enjoyed. God should be enjoyed. Why we know that heaven will not be boring is because that's where God will be. And forever. We will not miss soccer. We will not miss Premier League. We will not miss the cinema. Because there is a being who is more satisfying. Forever. Think about that. Forever. And none of the spectacles of the earth will be missed by the saints of God. Because God should be enjoyed. But only a revival can bring that to reality. What happens with idolatry that it masks your enjoyment senses. It perverts it. And what should be enjoyed is now hated. When you see somebody hating, hating God, hating church, hating Christians. And maybe hating is not the right word, but as we, for instance, we learned on Sunday, not choosing not preferring. How would you see Balaam, God, and then you pick Baal? You saw Baal and God, and then you, you said it's Baal, I will, I will pick. Oh. Because the senses has been exercised wrongly. When revival happens, God will be enjoyed. Now, you see, if you don't understand the revival, you will not be able to wait on God until God shows up. What people now do is that they invent enjoyable things in church. So our services are now more designed to create an idol that can be enjoyed in church. The preacher, I was telling my wife that, I've, there is virtually no preacher I, li- I listen to and hear that does not have an overwhelming sense of humor. 
Not because they try to be funny. But people that really know God are very interesting. People that, if somebody is talking and doesn't know God, you may find that boring. But somebody knows God, somebody talking about God, if he's talking, you find him quite, quite a, quite a sight. <laughs> I will sit down and watch YouTube videos and laugh, and somebody will be thinking and watching comedy skits. And when he checks, ah, preacher alone, is, is he a preacher or a, a comedian? Say, no, he's a preacher. And then I'll say, yeah, and then the person cannot make sense out of the laughter. Because his senses have been trained in another form of enjoyment. Death. Are you listening to me? How can God be boring? God? But idols have perverted and altered the perception and the senses. Brian Brunke said, if we have to bring coffee every morning for them to come to church, it's not worth it. Why don't we give them the drink of the Holy Ghost? And there are churches who sit down thinking, what can we do to present a, an idol, not a God? If, if you know God, you will not try to package him as interesting. When God shows up, how, you, you, you think you know fun? Wait till you get to heaven. You think you know fun? You think you're having fun? Wait and see the kind of fun in heaven. Bring God into the situation and see how the people will begin to enjoy Oh no, we now say, hey, what can we do? What program can we do? What activity can we do? So the people, that's why we have lost the young people. You see, one of these with the present church age is that in trying to transit from pastoring the elderly, we thought that the young people need greater religious entertainment. So we say, hey, youth church, when you hear youth church, you are thinking, in that church, they feel they remix the video song. Naramal himself, he joined choir. They will join, they will put his in song there, put in beat. Say, now youth church, the youth are praising God. Is that the meaning of youth church? Mary was 14 when she gave birth to Jesus. Everybody say 14. You say youth church, you are 25, you say you are a youth. <laughs> I don't blame you in Nigeria, I believe. In Nigeria, you are a youth church. Youth church. <laughs> Timothy was in his 20s. He pastored the congregation of 40,000 people. 40,000 was in his 20s. George Whitfield was 18 when he became the spearhead revivalist in his country. 18. You are here 24 in Latin. You say, you are looking for youth church. <laughs> youth church? So you can dance. Missionaries at 16 went to China. 16. Uh, <laughs> Are you listening to me here? Yes, I'm trying to find a way to package a God that is enjoyable. What? what? I mean, what, what are you talking about? Is God not enjoyable enough in Himself? So we design things, we look for programs, we look for what can we do? Can we invite that the youth can like? So many of these churches that are dying numerically say, Who can we bring that youth like? What do you mean that the youth like? When you hear youth program, you know, what, what are they doing there? There will be comedy, there will be talk show, there will be it's a huge program. Do you know that many of the apostles of Jesus were teenagers when Jesus called them? If he was 30, do you think Peter was 45? 
Jesus said, Peter, start. So you think James? How do you think James was or John? Or Philip or Andrew? How do you think they were? Some of them were your mates. But you now think that youth means that lau lau. Say lau lau. No, we say youth. In a revival, God is enjoyed without any packaging. God is enjoyed. Just God. Just God. Now, the enjoyment, my time is gone. The enjoyment, however, often does not come packaged as enjoyment. Many times, before a revival, there is sorrow for sin and repentance that involves crying, wailings, tears, brokenness, sobriety. Many times. The problem is that we chase enjoyment, thinking we are chasing God. Meanwhile, we miss it. So we pursue happiness, we find happiness, we idolize happiness. I say, in the presence of God, the fullness of joy, we look for a scripture that supports our carnality. Then we label it, say we have found God. Meanwhile, we didn't find God because normally what precedes, what precedes revival is repentance that involves godly sorrow. Until we learn to weep over our sins and the sins of our environment and the sins of our church, we will never experience enjoyment in God. People who have enjoyed God, who are enjoying God, you don't know, but many times they weep. They hurt. They sorrow. Some of, and you know what, the things that some of you get entertained by are the things that make intimate believers weep. So Elijah must have cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And every time he saw Baal being worshipped, he would weep and weep and weep. So if you see him, call down fire and you're like, wow, action, action, wow. But you don't know the tears. You don't know the tears. You don't know the tears. But how can they pick Baal over you? You know the things that you are enjoying is what you should be weeping at. But you know because the idol now is happiness. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. Everybody chasing happiness. Just be happy. Be happy. Even if it means you are a lesbian, as long as you are happy, it's okay. Just be, just chase happiness. That's what the liberal world is selling. Chase happiness. Just be happy. When you are happy, you are fine. It's a lie. People are still depressed and committing suicide despite changing their gender. You see a boy, born as a boy, grew up at 18, say, I want to be a girl. Five years later, he says, I'm confused. Of course you are. No, you are stupid. I'm not confused. You are stupid. The nurses are committed suicide because I'm confused. I need mental therapy. You will need deliverance. You saw your male genitalia and you say, I think I feel like a girl. You know, in, in the United States now, there are bedrooms for, for bisexual. So today, if you feel like a girl, you can use the girl's bedroom. If I go to that place and I see any boy come to the bedroom of my daughter, I go hold her for neck. So you feel like a girl today. I go check. What's in your nash? Open your clothes. <laughs> feel like a girl today. Now by feeling, is there not a God who creates? Who you be? Where did you come? Say you feel like a. Now by feeling. By the time I kick you for there, you go confirm say so you be guy. 
You say, you know, you don't know whether you go, when I kick you one, just one, you go confirm, say, nah, guy, I be. I'm feeling a lie. Hallelujah. Don't let the packages of idols deceive you. We need Elijah in our generation. Brave men. There are Christian musicians whose music have been cancelled by the liberal culture because they are singing against gay rights and singing against homosexuals. And they may not have one million troops again on, on YouTube. And YouTube and all the big media companies and big tech companies are trying to suppress them. But they are still standing for Jesus. We need men like that. Maybe just one, but we need, we need men like that. We don't want people who are preaching love and light. Saying you don't believe in God is fine. Just, just love and light. What do you mean is fine? Somebody's going to hell, you say it's fine. As long as he does love and light. There's light in hell. It's hot light, burning light. What do you mean love and light? People who go to hell, you think it's because God hates them? There are people in hell who God loves. Everybody in hell, God loves them. Love has also become an idol. It's just love. What is love? So it's just my, I, I, my, you know, my sexual orientation is, is, is I, I like little children. Oh, oh, you don't know, oh, you don't know that it has got, gotten there. You can't do research. They are writing already in the Senate now to pass a law approving of pedophilia. Five-year-olds are now allowed to masturbate. They are taught pornography in school. In school. The videos are all over Twitter. It's not, I'm not telling you a secret. It's not a mystery. Go and check, you see. That's the Canada you want to go. Public schools that talk that children how to masturbate. They have textbooks on how to four-year-old children how to masturbate. See, it's love. It's just love. Let's just love one another. A little bull love. When revival comes, I go to be dethroned. How are you going to change America, for instance? You are going there. If you are going there, go and pray revival there. If you get to Sodom and you don't pray for Sodom, Sodom will overshadow you. You see. Lot went there. When there is the grass, plenty grass there. Go there. Be doing big boy there. Be stopping picture. Continue. Umbo. That come for your kids. I come for your kids. I come for your kids. Then you and be doing taking pictures. Taking selfie. Preparing your enemy in Nigeria. Continue. Don't pray. Don't fast. I come for your kids. Hallelujah. Let me run, Jerry. My time is already Let me take more of your time just to exhaust this. Number two, in a revival, sensitivity to sin is heightened because of the revelation of the glory of God, because of the tangible, palpable revelation of the glory of God. Sin has become very disguised too in our generation and so sensitivity to sin is at an all-time low people curse use vulgar words and don't believe they are sinning they say what's there what did i say i just told him to f off what did i say clear and bear it's an all-time moral decline christians tongue talking believers Use their words, mouth to sing vulgar lyrics. Use their bodies to dance vulgar, and they don't know it's wrong. They say they were asking, see they sing. <laughs> see they sing. You're asking me. You stand before your creator. You ask him. 
Don't ask me. Wait, just wait. You'll soon go. Even if he's 100 years on end, you ask him. Is it a sin? To vibe to a groove that causes purity, that despises sanity, that mocks God, that insults morality. Is it a sin? You ask your creator. You ask your creator one day. In a revival, sin consciousness, as it were, is heightened. People recognize what sin is. I was reading the John Wesley and Charles Finney revivals. Oh, oh, revival is sweet. John will be walking. He has not started preaching. He will not be walking. And sinners will be feeling like somebody is pointing to their sin. Preaching has not started. And they will be yelling, save me, oh God. Save me from my sin. Preach not outside. He just, he just took a, a, a walk on the road. A man so full of God. What happens if God shows up in a place? Nobody will ask God, is it a sin? That question that you want to ask God, you will never ask him. When you see him, you, you, know, you don't know what sin is, and I don't blame you. When you see God, you will, nobody will tell you, this sin is a sin, this sin is a sin. You will know there is a sin. You see the, the revelation of the glory of God. You know. You will just become aware. This is a sin. Then you begin to cry. Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah. And then he began to hear. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. When you see God's glory, nobody will tell you, is it this? The argument will not be saying, is it this? That's what we end. You will know. The reason why you don't know is because revival has not happened. I'm still telling you. The Bible says that we should walk worthy of the Lord. There will be nothing for the Bible to say in the day of revival come. Or the day of revival come. The Bible will become a life to you. A life. Like. There will be nothing for quotations. The problem, however, is that a revival like this cannot be stewarded when we don't have preachers who are bold enough to confront sin. In a revival, the sense of sin is heightened. However, it doesn't mean that we should wait for a revival before we speak against sin. The preacher is supposed to stand for God, and if he stands for God, he must speak against sin. God cannot trust preachers who are afraid to call a spade a spade. He cannot trust them with revivals. You may fast for it. You see, I see people giving themselves titles, revivalist. Maybe it's the sixth office. You know, there's five food office. Maybe they've added the sixth office now. I don't know. But it's not a crime. It's not, it's not what you saying. But you don't get revival by calling yourself revivalist. Or by doing a program called Seven Days Revival. God will find you faithful. God will watch you, check your heart. People that were revivalists indeed, they did not try to be revivalists. None of them said one billion souls for Christ. No, no. Just Wesley, Chan Wesley, those guys just wanted to serve Jesus in their own little capacity. No ambition, nothing. None of them said, I will, we will take the word for God. No, don't talk like that. No, don't talk like that. As people bragging about what they do, just You just came and shouted. Just serve God. Do whatever God permits you to do, do. I'm not going to be saying hey, the compelling consecration message is going worldwide. I'm not going to talk like that. It's, it is the height of arrogance. Okay? Whatever God tells me to do, I'll be faithful in it. Even because I stay in the promotion, I will stay here. I'm not after a worldwide dream. 
I want to be faithful to God. If before I began this teaching series, I said these things we are teaching can be used for the body of Christ. But if God finds the teaching faithful and worthy, He will by Himself promote it. I'm not going to say this message. Make sure you share it. The word must hear it. I talk like that. Am I a fool? I just if it's for people that hear, I talk. That's what people that God counted me worthy to, to pastor. I talk. All the whole attempts to be a global voice. I shake my head. Our young people will learn. We will learn. When we get to 50, we will now be humble. For me, I'm not going to wait till I'm 50. I've learned from history. <laughs> I've learned from history. I don't want to be a revivalist. If God finds my voice worthy, the man I follow the most, A.W. Tozer, was never popular in his lifetime. It was when he died. And people now began to say, his words were true. What he said was true. It's like that in Israel. Israel's prophets were not appreciated until they died. So, ah, that man hit the one also. What's his name? Can't look for his summons. Ambition is a terrible thing. Terrible. People don't know. It's another idol. Ambition is another idol. In a revival, sensitivity to sin is heightened. But when we have preachers who are spineless, sissies, say they are preachers. A preacher cannot stand before a king and say, Oh, king, that was wrong. Because each of they find contract. I was watching the national prayer on the day of President Paula Ahmed Tinubu's inauguration. I was, where I was, I was, I was shouting like a madman. I come in Nigeria with the blood of Jesus. I said, Who is this person that they came to the sent us to represent that is representing Christianity? Covering Nigeria with the blood of Jesus. This is the person that is representing us, this person praying for because they did Muslim prayer and Christian prayer. In fact, I enjoyed the Muslim prayer more. You know, honestly, I was just trusting God to save this soul. When I heard the Christian representative, a bishop, say, I come, this, oh. <laughs> indignation rose up in my soul. That man cannot confront politicians and say, okay, this is what you do, no good. He can't, but he can lead prayer. He said, I cover the Asherah with the blood of Jesus. I cover Goja with the blood of Jesus. I cover Nigeria with the blood of Jesus. What are you talking about? Who do you represent? Certainly not Jehovah. This is not Elijah would have spoken on a day like this. Elijah could have prayed. If he prayed, he would call down fire. If he does not call down fire, he would pray a prayer that would bring conviction to the heart of men. Why couldn't we send a man who at least knows God's heart? But we didn't send, obviously, they picked. And the man must have been happy. He must have told his family, I'm going to pray in Abuja today. Watch me live on NTA News. <laughs> death, death, death. We need revival. You had the opportunity to speak to kings. And all you could say is you cover Abuja with the blood of Jesus. Oh, death. Where is your sting? In a revival, Sin consciousness is heightened. People are aware this is wrong. Oh, this is wrong. Because there's a revelation of the glory of God. What, however, precedes that is that there are faithful preachers who speak the truth, who say, even if you kill me, I will say the truth. This is wrong. This is not good. They cut off John the Baptist and he told Herod, you are sleeping with your brother's wife. It's not good. Return, return, return. They cut off his head, but he still said the truth. Are there any men who still say the truth? Who are not trying to be politically correct. I just see men like that. 
in our age group of young ministers, I see a lot of collaboration happening. I told myself, I'm not going to be part of this political madness. You guys are just trying to be united for an evil purpose. You are jointed wrongly. How many of you are saying the truth to one another? How many? Few. But everybody's doing collaboration. He invites me, I invite you. <laughs> and I'm just watching. Won't you come? No, I'm not coming. Won't you join? No, I'm not joining. It's a WhatsApp group. I'm not joining. You have potential. Thank you. You can be a God general. I don't want to be a God general. You can be a global voice. Well, I don't want to be a global voice. Thank you. Thank you. We can help you. I don't need your help. I'll give an account to my king when I die. I want to hear thou faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord. But okay. Leave the rest. You guys can become the generals. I will decorate you. I will give you the style you are looking for. In the revival, people are aware. People are aware. There's no, there's no preaching that confronts sin again. And we have quoted it even on the doctrine. Doctrines have become an idol. It says it's, sin consciousness is not good. It depends on what you call sin consciousness. I tell you, an homosexual, you are in the order of Sodom. You say, I'm preaching sin. I should preach Christ. Have you ever heard Christ say or speak about Sodom and said, a greater than... Well, he spoke about Jonah. He spoke about the warnings against Sodom. And he said, if you people were Sodom, they would have repented. Did Jesus ever speak about Sodom with a light tone? I say, hey, they, they were just trying to have fun. You know how people who say they are representing Christ cannot call, cannot call sin, sin. Call it different names, sexual orientation. Rada, rada. Even animals know better. I never see e-goats where they go sniff e-goats. I never see them before. He got na woman in the foot, na female goat, na woman. You see that the degradation is, is so low. Let me progress here because of time. Number three, in a revival, supernatural activities intensified through much prayer and, of course, powerful preaching. There's supernatural activity. This supernatural activity may come in various forms. In the times of the Quakers, there was a group called Quakers. When they start preaching and praying, they would not be shaking. That's all. People don't fall down. Just shake. Right, shake. When John Wesley started preaching, people fell down. The Quakers began to attack John Wesley because they did not accept that it was from God. Say, so God does not fall people down. John Wesley did not accept speaking in tongues. His own the speaking in tongues came at the Azusa Revival different shades of supernatural activity. Charles Finney's own was emotional outburst. Charles would be preaching and we would just start crying. We beg them, please. Because in those days, there were no sound systems. If you cry, I will not be able to continue my message. Yeah, okay. Yeah! It would be as if something is burning their hearts. So, he would stop preaching. I said, well, yeah, come to Christ. Come to the altar and cry. After you cry, you sorrow. You enter into joy. They will cry, cry, cry till they find joy. They will force joy. They will find it. They will, they will, they will stay there. Come on, they will take this. They only find joy. You will see that this person has found joy. Their face will light up. It's not about smile. Jesus bless you. You see real joy. They found it. 
different shades of supernatural activity. 90s, or in the 1900s, speaking in tongues came about. After the world wars, healing revivals took place. Afterwards, charismatic revivals took place. Supernatural activity, but it was always better by prayer and powerful preaching. Preaching that is powerful, not motivational speaking. Powerful preaching and prayer. People prayed. They were people like Father Nash, who went ahead of Charles Finney to pray when he's coming to a town. They pray three days. Say, Charles is coming, I'm going there. I won't tell him I'm going there. Pray three days. Charles will start preaching five minutes later. Who will be? Hey, hey, hey! Say, please, we cannot hear again. Hey! <laughs> Powerful preaching. Oh, I long for days like that again. At least now we have sound systems. If anybody shouts, it's out of nowhere. We will only shout when we see our favorite musician. Say, make some noise for Jesus. On your touch lights. Say, it's a revival. Touch light revival. You see, let's stop joking. Let's stop playing. Stop playing, Joe. Touch light. Touch light. It has. And we are, we are, those things have now become replicated everywhere. Everywhere you see people doing this. Eh? Why, why are we doing this thing? Is it symbolic? Is it significant? Why are we doing it? Just try to copy what is popular. Let's go and pray. Instead of falling touch light, let's pray. Let's pray. Touch light that cannot cure anything. In a revival, supernatural activities intensified. Miracles for Elijah to fire falling. In a, in a Jehoshaphat's time, it was even prosperity, supernatural prosperity. In Acts chapter 2, it was storms, global storms of fire. But there's always supernatural activity that is preceded by prayer and powerful preaching. Prayer. You may not be useful as a preacher in the next revival. You want me to be just to pray. That's why I say stop ambition. All this, I am, I'm, the, I'm the voice of revival. Stop it. What if God says, come be praying? Because some pastors, I don't teach you, some pastors should just be prayer warriors. They have no business teaching the saints. For everybody won't teach. Teach heresy up and down. Meanwhile, you have been better if you just stay. Now your voice, now your prayer. Come be groaning in the secret. Everybody wants to be the face of revival. Not me, not me. I'm the one that's allowed for fire to burn in this place. Are we still together here? Number four. In a revival, there will be a clear demarcation between the church and the world. A clear demarcation. There is a mixed multitude amongst us. People who are in this place who are not born again. When revival comes, everybody, water will find them. Yeah. The wheat and the tears will mix until revival. When revival comes, there will be a clear demarcation. Because the thing with revival is that it separates. Revival destroys hypocrisy. Nobody can pretend in an atmosphere of revival. Nobody. You can't fake it. It's too real. It's too real. People who are in the Charles Finney revival, you will see well-behaved people, lawyers, judges, they will come. They will do sanctimonious service. Charles will start in 10 minutes. You hear a judge start shouting, hey, hey! Ah, Judge, kill <laughs> Shelley. Ah, you used to be well composed, you used to be emotionally controlled. What happened? In a revival, nobody can nobody can act. <laughs> you can act. It's like somebody trying to act in heaven. Heaven is a light, absolute light. You cannot pretend there's no iota of darkness. 
can't pretend. You can't fake it. If you love God, you love it. If you don't love God, it's just, just obvious. So in the rival, there's demarcation, separation. This mixture, mixture, mixture that makes it difficult for the people of God to be sustained. Look how churches, it's only a revival that can divide, separate. Revival separate. So that's why I say many times there has been no recent revival, honestly, if you know what revival is. Then a hundred thousand people came to Sozozo Convention. In that convention, the Babalawo of Oshobu attended, sat down in front. All the royal, the royal fathers say revival is happening. You don't know what revival because you don't know what revival is. Always revival is revival with demarcate separate. Even the priest could not stand to minister. How much more? Revival, it they separate. What of is level? Anybody pretending? Anybody having a form of godliness? Shift, 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 shift. God's own people will be humbled. The best of us will be shaken. How much more the worst of us, if there's any worst of us. Remember, separates the modern church is so mixed. Nice. I've seen our gospel musicians go to club to minister. A stripper invited them for their birthday. He said, we're going to go there and share the gospel of love and light. So you sing with your hands. With your hands, everybody. I put my faith in Jesus. And the stripper too lifts her hands. Ah, in the day revival comes, a sword will be sent to divide. Person will be sheep, to be obvious. All those wolves in sheep clothing, revival will separate them. To be clear, you can't say something is a revival when there's so much mixture. mixture. You see, the, our auditoriums are filled though, but you see the mixture. You see online prayer. Person praying for sugar daddy to come. My prayer point is sugar daddy. I need a sugar daddy, oh God. Online prayer. It's not revival. It's revival divides. One of the things that revival does is that, you see, many people don't know what revival is. So when a revival starts and the persecution follows, they say, how can we be persecuted inside revival? Revival brings persecution. Why? Because pretenders will begin to hate you. Those people that have been claiming they love you, we are all together. When revival now comes, the, their hatred will not begin to show. I don't like you. You remind me of my sin. I hate you. Leave me. Every time I see you, I'm convicted. And I don't want to change. Leave me alone. Oh, yeah. Revival separates siblings. Jesus says in that day, brothers will be against sisters. Fathers against children. That's what happens in revival. Even the most born couples will separate. Revival separates. It divides. When I say, I say, I say, unity, unity. I say, unity. Revival first, they divide first. Before unity, it they divide. Hypocrites shift. Let's know those who want to serve Jesus, who really love Jesus. All the mixtures shift. So persecution begins. In Acts chapter 16, a little girl was shouting, This is the prophet of God. Acts 16, this is from verse maybe 12 or 13. Paul became grieved in the spirit. He casted out the devil, python spirit from the girl. She was shouting before, hey, Paul is a good preacher. Paul, they preach gospel. When revival happened, everybody's level was settled. What followed? Look at this, put in Acts chapter 16. The Bible says they caught Paul. Acts 16, 16, start from verse 16. 
they caught Paul and Silas and threw them into jail. Verse 16 says, It came to pass as we went to prayer, they silent themselves possessed with a spirit of divination made us, which brought our masters much gain. I will soon explain that. Go ahead in verse 17 here. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. They were saying good things. Verse 18. This she did many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out. Everybody say he came out. Shows you demons are personalities, not things. He did not say it came out. He came out. Some people have they have beings living in them. He came out. <laughs> came out of a girl. So it was a girl, but he came out. <laughs> and when a master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Verse 20 and brought them to these magistrates, saying, This man being Jews do exceedingly trouble and assist Verse 21 and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose together against them, and the magistrate rent off their clothes and commanded to. This happened in a revival. People say, In revival, we are still somewhere persecution. Oh. In revival, there was persecution. Because this that serpentine spirit walking to that girl was now exposed. And our masters knew that business is over. So they began to persecute. They persecute. I've seen it happen again. Best friends divide when the revival comes. So, ah, you don't want to stand for Jesus. You want to pretend that they go, you go. I go there my own. Revival divides. Are you listening to me here? One last point here. In a revival, there will be casualties. I'm saying this because many people don't know the cost of a revival. In a revival, there will be some people will die. First Kings chapter 18. Fire fell from heaven. That's not where the story stopped. Elijah said, gather them. Gather them. All the prophets of God cut their head. In a revival, there will be casualties. Acts chapter 5. A revival was happening. And I asked Safara, light. Boom! They died. Revival is dangerous. People say, God, say revival. And I say, do you, do you really want it? <laughs> do you really want it? Have you counted the cost? Do you know what happens in a revival? In the 1600s or mid 1600s, about, there was a man shouting like a voice in the wilderness. He prophesied and said, if the Pope does not repent this year, the Pope and the Bishop will die. According to his word, both of them died. When I ever said God cannot kill, I said stop playing. You have not read. You have not read. You don't know stuff. Stop playing. And they died. Revivals bring casualties. Acts chapter 13. Look at it from verse 8. Paul was preaching. One ridiculous man. I think. Put it on the screen. Elimas, that's his name, the sorcerer. Which stood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Look at the next statement. Verse 9, Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Verse 10, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, who thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Verse 11, and now behold the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, not the hand of Satan, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind. I hear people say, God cannot be, God cannot what, what Bible are you, re- are you reading? What Bible are you reading? In a revival, there are casualties. 
Anybody that chooses to stand in the way, you will drop your neck for it. You stand in the way of a revival, of God's move, God's sovereign move, or you'll be taken out. Be taken out. In Charles Finney's time, there were bishops who hated him. They would gather people to beat him up. One of them said, Nerama can never happen here. Nerama can never happen here. The church just said, okay, they went to pray. That night, the man died. He said, Satan killed him. You mean Satan stopped him from doing his work? But what are you talking about? Let's be talking about I said, remember common sense. Some things is just common sense. In revivals, there are casualties. There are about three casualties. First, casualty in the house of God. Judgment will begin in God's house. People who refuse to repent, revival or rot. If you don't want to be revived, no problem. No problem. We will appeal to you, we will preach to you, we will beg you. But in the day it comes, you will see. Nobody would have told an answer and some rats. Maybe they didn't, they, didn't even, they didn't even think it. They were probably celebrating. We are in the new covenant, era of grace, lava, mercy today. And they lied. And boom, first one, boom. Second one, they asked, Did you? you say yes. They have, they have come to bury your husband. They are coming to pick you up. And boom, he says it and kill them. Use your common sense. No? Just, you don't need spiritual understanding. That's right. Just use your common sense. What was the result? Fear of God, not fear of Satan. The fear of God gripped the church. Revival has casualties. Empires will collapse. Religious institutions. I think it was supposed to be Michael Oropo who went to a place. When he got there and he preached finish, they said over 100 pastors came and said, we want to resign. We have discovered we are no more pastors. That's revival. In revivals, churches closed down. Churches that existed as societal centers, as business centers, they closed down. Revival comes with casualties. People who ordain themselves or their denomination ordain them, they have no business being called. They will close down. They will drop. I'm not doing it again. Revival has happened. I know I'm not a pastor. I was just deceiving everybody. I'm not a pastor. Revival is not just about the good, sweet times, sobering times. Everybody will adjust. Everybody will align. Churches will close down. Denominations will close down. Churches that were built with personal, selfish interests will close down. Pastors will resign. Shepherds who have no time to cover the flock will say, see, I would rather escape than put my head inside this. I'm not doing it again. Let's move the first time beat. Revival is a sovereign time. There will be casualties. And of course, society, economics, if revival happens, never beds go fill up. And some of you who are planning to work there, you may be sacked. Uh-huh. Revival comes with casualties. Yeah. Nicotine companies may close down. In the days of Charles Finney's revivals, there was no longer. Now, before the revival, after every three house, somebody is selling Ogogoro. Alcohol was the idol. After the revival, business park, nobody was drinking again. If you don't get another job, you will die of hunger. Economists fear revival. The business that that woman was doing, that girl in Act 16, she brought much gain to her masters. When revival came, spoil market. No more market. So they put spoil on it. Revival collapsed things. There are casualties. Uh, there are casualties. 
businesses will collapse. Businesses found on sin, on ethical principles, inappropriate practices, it will collapse. So when we say God send revival, let's know what we are saying. Stand and pray for five minutes. Pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Krastika poko mashto falash. Leki deke deko badi sekete kata kata falash. Leki te kata kata rabaste kikendem rufrat keteke lugish. We are counting the costs. Uh, if you count the cost and you still feel like saying send revival, then you can say it. But count, know what you are praying for. Eh? Know what you are praying for. Rapo panti kete kalabas tekre kete koba handos. Lekete kada grandos tekre kete kata kata baladabas. Mekete koba rada das tekete kada yakatalanos. We may never witness it in our generation, but Lord, whatever we can do. To maybe contribute to it, we would like to do it. We long to rejoice in you again. Kanda baraste keto kubala, lekrekete kada kata kata labaste krekete kubalas, lebraki keke keke kubadusi kete kada yalabalas, lebranti keke lekete kada yakata. When the revival comes. Stadiums may not be filled again. Ah, the river will collapse many things. The cinemas may become empty. Do you really want a revival? Do you really want a revival? When God takes his place, idols will be dethroned. Rebecca does to comprende que te quedas. In the sovereignty and in your mercy. Lord, do what you want to do. With us and through us and amongst us. We yield. Now we know. So we yield. We know what it really means. We have counted the cost. We yield. We yield. We yield. Hallelujah. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.